Amen. Lord, I pray we'd live every day in anticipation of your soon return. Lord, that at any moment if you came back, Lord, you'd find us busy about your work, reflecting you in the way we love others. Lord, not just being Christians in, in word, but in action. And Father, I just pray that we would take this time you've given us and use it for your glory. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now that, Lord, you would be our teacher. Your Holy Spirit would increase and man would decrease that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. We will be in James chapter 3 on Sunday, so let me encourage you to read that chapter. Lord willing, we'll look at the entire chapter. So uh, do read ahead. Uh, I have to start off by letting you know something you already know. I'm worthless and weak. Um, I was preparing for, today's me- for tonight's message, and I came to the very clear realization at about 2 o'clock, there's no way I was going to be completely prepared. Um, if you guys have looked ahead in Genesis 10 and 11, which really do go together, the Tower of Babel, we will be looking at that next week, so forgive your pastor, because uh, one thing I won't do is get up here and teach you unprepared. It's what I won't do, Okay. Because I answered Almighty God. You know, it's interesting. James chapter 3 says, Let not many of you be teachers, because you will be accountable one day. So I'm not going to do that. So we're going to look at something different tonight. So please forgive me. But we will be in the Bible. Amen. And the Word of God is the Word of God, even if we're looking at a different chapter tonight. And so do look ahead, though, because it's great. I'll tell you, Genesis is such an incredible history lesson. We really ought to be teaching it in every high school and every grade school in the country. Amen. Because it tells us about creation, and it tells us about the fall of man. And you know what? If, when people ask you, well, where did all the languages come from? Where did all the nations come from? Where did all the races come from? Where did all the nationalities come from? Genesis chapter 10 and 11 and 12 are the answer. And so I pray that you will be here next week, and we will cover that then. Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. We're going to look at uh, a chapter we looked at a few years back. Uh, Numbers gets a bad rap. You hear Numbers, you go, what? Let me tell you something. Numbers is a great book, like every book in the Bible, amen? And Numbers would really be better titled In the Wilderness. It's really not a book that spends so much time numbering. Certainly there's a few places where the people are numbered, but it would have been much better to be called In the Wilderness because that's really the time that you see in the book of Numbers. Now, a way to bring you up to speed, Genesis that we're going through now is creation, man's choice to sin, separation from God. And then at the end of Genesis, we see the children of Israel going into bondage in Egypt because of their sinful behavior. We get to the book of Exodus, and it's just that. They're Exodus out of bondage, when they're freed from bondage, when God sent a deliverer, Moses, a type or a picture of Christ, who came And the plagues came upon Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And when were they delivered out of bondage? It was at the Passover. We talked about this on Sunday briefly. When the blood of the lamb was was placed on the the doorpost and the mantle in the shape of the cross and the angel of death would pass over, it was only when the blood was applied that they were delivered out of bondage. We then get to the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, the real entire focus of that book, which I think still, Bill will correct me later, I think is still the most requested uh, book we've ever had from the radio. People are blown away that anybody ever taught through Leviticus. But Leviticus, the whole theme is holiness. Now you've been delivered out of bondage, and now God has a calling on your life to walk in holiness before Him. 
So it establishes the sacrificial system. The Bible very clearly teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. So now that brings us to Numbers. And now as we come to the chapter, tonight's chapter, what has just happened is they spent 12 months at Mount Sinai. And they're there waiting upon the Lord. The entire book of Leviticus only covers about a one-month period of time. And then we move into Numbers. They've been about 12 months, about a year, sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. The people have been numbered. The tabernacle's been constructed. God's glory is in their midst. If you weren't here, and let me encourage you, we'll, we'll make tapes of it. When you get to Numbers chapter 3, what a great text. Because you see how they camped. And sometimes you read it, it looks like camping instructions. It almost looks like you took out a, you know, something out of, about how to construct a tent. Who cares? But when you really take a close look at it, what you find is that the way they encamped, when you look down upon it, when God looked down upon it, they were encamped in the shape of a cross. So as they traveled through the wilderness, they were encamped in the shape of a cross. And in the midst of the cross was the tabernacle, and there the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. Really really a picture of the Holy Spirit indwelling upon us because of the work of the cross. They've been delivered out of bondage. They're headed to the land of promise. Boy, what a picture of where we are today. Amen? We're encamped in the cross. We're filled with the Spirit. We're headed to the ultimate promised land of heaven. And that's where they are. They've been there for some time. They're encamped in the cross. They're dwelling in temporary tents just like you and I are. Aren't you glad that these bodies are temporary? Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I can't wait. Here's the point, though. These things are falling apart. Didn't you love Ross Rhodes? He said he's melting. I like that. That was good. My body's just kind of melting, right? I'm getting older. And it's so true. And, but we live in these temporary tents, and they were living in temporary tents. And in the midst of all this, he'd given practical callings to every one of the tribes, to every specific family. This is your calling. This is what God has for you to do. And all of their callings were necessary. They were all a part of God's perfect plan. And so they were heading out. They were following God's lead. The only time they would move was when the pillar of fire or the cloud would lift up and begin to move. Then they would stop, put everything away, and they would head on out. And if you remember, the tribe that led the way was Judah. And Judah means praise. So praise leads the way as we follow the Lord. Amen? And as we follow the Lord, we should be following Him with a heart of praise and worship to him. So we get to Numbers chapter 10, which was the previous chapter, and it's one thing to trust in God, it's another thing to obey him. And so now there's this calling to move out. When the cloud moves, you move. And in chapter 10, he also talked about a trumpet that would blow. The trumpet would call them that, okay, the cloud is moving, God is moving. Now it's your turn to respond to the Lord. It's one thing to say, I know that God is a calling on my life. It's another thing to respond in obedience. And it's awesome, those trumpets are such a picture because in the Bible, a trumpet announces when you enter into battle. They would blow a trumpet when they were about to proclaim the truth. They would blow a trumpet as an instrument of praise to warn God's people to call an assembly together. But guys, there's a trumpet coming, amen? The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for a trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So that trumpet will blow, and again, we will be moved out. So we see here, they're called to move, and that brings us to the chapter we're in tonight. What are they going to do when the trumpet blows? What are they going to do? They've just spent 12 months camping out at Mount Sinai. They're encamped in the cross. Moses is with them. The Lord's leading the way. But sadly, it's so tragic that it's true 
of the children of Israel, and it's true in the Christian church today, that though God has done so much for us, it's so easy for us to get in our flesh and to rebel against Him. And that's exactly what we see in tonight's text. So if you're a note taker, the title of the message is Rebellion in the Camp. They're about to head out from Mount Sinai to go on an 11-day trip, 11 days, into the land of promise that God had already promised to them. He'd already told them they would conquer. It belongs to you. Just go take it. It's yours. And that 11-day trip's going to turn into a 40-year death march. And it turns into them just wandering around and never entering into the land of promise. For you and I, a picture of never entering into God's highest. Guys, should we be satisfied with a get-out-of-hell-free card? Or shouldn't our heart be to walk in the center of God's will, to be filled to overflowing with this Holy Spirit, to be the men and women of God that He's called us to be? Amen? To be not just hearers of the Word, but doers, as we saw on Sunday. So, re- rebellion in the camp. First, we're going to see the lies that our flesh tells us. We'll see the lies that are told to the people, and then we'll see the lies that are even told or the struggles that the flesh would bring upon Moses. We'll get into that in detail as we move through the text. Then we'll see the way that God responds. We'll see that God responds to those who are desperate for Him one way, and responds another way to those who are driven by the flesh. So let's begin in verse 1. Looking at rebellion in the camp, the Lord Though the lies that our flesh tells us, and again, the first thing that we often hear the flesh tell us is that you know better than God. Isn't that what happened with, that, with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God told you this, but did God really mean it? And if you take this, won't it be better? Well, let's take a look. Again, remember, they're encamped in the cross. The cloud, the fire is upon them. The trumpets are blowing. God's leading the way. They have clear direction for their lives. They've just spent 12 months resting at Mount Sinai in the presence of Almighty God. Now the call is going to be to move out and look how they respond. Now when the people complained. Guys, can I encourage all of us with something? As Christians, we have nothing to complain about. Amen? But Pastor Dave, my boss, is a jerk. But they, they ripped me off on that thing, or that, they, you know, they said they were going to do this, and they didn't really do it, and, you know, you don't understand what's going on with my kids or my health or what. Guys, is God in control or not? Is He not upon us? Is He not leading the way? Did He not see what was coming before, you know, before the foundation of the world? The answer is yes. And here we have the children of Israel. They've been delivered out of bondage. They were in bondage. They were being beaten in Egypt. And God brought them out. You would think that that would cover the rest of your life. Amen? You'd be praising God. you just keep worshiping and praising Him. You know what happens though? You get out of bondage for a little while and you almost forget that you were ever in bondage. And the same thing can happen to Christians. We can be born again and we're so excited about the fact that we're, we know God and we're not going to hell. And Hey, this is so incredible. And then maybe some time goes by. We start to take that for granted and start to murmur about the circumstances of life. That's what we see here in the children of Israel. God's hand of blessing is upon them. He's delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He's performed miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He's dropping food out of the sky to feed them. 
And now in the middle of all of that, the clouds upon them, the trumpets blowing, they're headed to the land flowing with milk and honey. How do they respond? The people complained. Now, we look at them, we think, what a bunch of knuckleheads until we start looking in the mirror and realizing we do the same thing. Amen? Anybody else here complained in the last month? I shared this with you one other time. I'll share it with you again. I'm not proud of it. My parents can confirm it. You know, in the eighth grade, they have the Hall of Fame kind of thing, like best smile, most athletic, you know, most humorous. Well, I get a thing that they need me to come down to get my picture taken because I'm in the, you know, Hall of Fame. And I'm thinking, well, probably not most athletic. We've got a guy who dunks basketballs and stuff, so that's not me. Maybe it's most humorous. People think I'm funny. So I get there, and they go, okay, and they're naming off people, and they do the most humorous. It's not me. I'm like, what is that about? So finally they go, okay, now biggest complainers, Dave Johnston and, and I'm like, and then I, you know what I did? I complained. <laughs> what? you got to be kidding me, right? I hope I've grown a little bit since then. You know, so sinful is the human heart that we are so quick to complain. We are so quick to murmur. Guys, we are born-again believers filled with the Spirit of the living God. We ought to be rejoicing, not complaining. Amen? But notice what happens. God had done so much for them. Israel is complaining. And again, they... They complained when they got to the Red Sea and then God opened it up. They complained at Mount Sinai. They complained, seemingly complained everywhere they go. What are they complaining about, though? And, and this is a great lesson for us. They complain about the circumstances of life. They don't complain about being delivered out of bondage. They complain about the circumstances they're in right this moment. They're not complaining about the land of promise. They're not complaining about the place they left. They're complaining about the place they are right now. And the same thing is so prone in the life of believers today. Again, God's hand is upon us. We ought to be rejoicing, not focusing on the temporal struggles of the journey, but remember what we've been delivered from and remember where we're headed. We've been delivered out of sin and we're headed to heaven. Amen? And guys, knowing what we've been delivered from and where we're headed ought to bring rejoicing, not complaining. But sadly, the children of Israel are murmuring. You know what that does when you complain? It harms your testimony. Why would anybody want to know the God that you serve if you're walking around complaining all the time? Amen? Where's that? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, complaining, murmuring. Is that what the Bible says? There should be joy. Now notice how the Lord sees complaining. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. The fact that his incredible grace, mercy, and deliverance was responded to with ungratefulness, rebellion, and complaining displeased God. And notice what it says. For the Lord heard it. Guys, when we complain, not only we have bad testimony before men, but God hears us. What do you want God to hear coming out of your mouth? Praise or complaints? You know, think of it as being a parent. Can you imagine if you took your kids on the best vacation ever and you sacrificed for an entire year and you saved all the money up and then you finally got there and your kids did nothing but complain? You'd be like, you know what? I worked overtime. I sacrificed. I did this because I love you and you're complaining. Guys, God did far more than that for us. Amen? And how dare we complain? 
Now watch what happens. The Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. What? I didn't think complaining was that big a deal. It is to God. When those who are his children, who he gave everything for, murmur about the fact that he has delivered them and done so much for them, look at his anger is aroused and he brings righteous judgment. I want you to notice something though. Who are the ones who were consumed? Where were they? In the outskirts of the camp. The presence of the Lord was in the center of the camp, in the tabernacle, right? And who were those who were consumed? Those who were furthest away from God's presence. Guys, as we get away from the Lord, as we don't spend time in His presence, as we're walking on the outskirts, as we're getting as far away from God as we can be and yet still be in the camp, that's when the judgment, that's when being consumed comes. That's when the complaining starts, as we stop looking at the Lord and we start looking at the world, and that's what's happening here. And God brings divine judgment. Verse 2, the people cried out to Moses. So notice, they murmur against God. Judgment comes, they cry out to Moses. You know what, guys? Righteous judgment can be a great thing because it can be the tool God uses to get people's eyes back on God. Amen? So often we can just continue on our sinful way, and if God just left us there, we would never see a reason to turn back. But sometimes we need to find ourselves reaping the consequences of ungodly behavior so that we might once again look up. God's fire brought holy fear from complaining about their circumstances to crying out for mercy. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. This complaining turned to crying out to Moses to intercede on their behalf. Notice too, they cried out to who? To Moses. Have you ever noticed when someone's going through a trial that they run to the most godly person they know? You might be sharing your faith. You might be talking about the Lord. They might know you're a Christian. They may mock you. They may murmur. They may complain. And when the trial comes and they're in a place of desperation, most often the person they're going to run to for counsel is that one godly person in the office. And may that be you. Amen? They run to the one that they mock. And they want intercession. And notice how Moses responds. They cried out to Moses, and Moses said, you bunch of sniveling whiners, you got what you deserve. Is that what he says? You know what, and, and you know what, isn't there a time, maybe I'm the only one so fleshly that has ever thought this, but have you ever seen someone just living in a rebellious, out-of-control life, and then the consequences come, and you're almost like, good. Anybody else ever done that besides me? Coworker cheating on his wife. Everybody knows it but her. She finds out. He gets busted. She leaves him. I'm like, dude, there you go. Your sin will surely find you out. And then he came over complaining to me how much they were going to give her in, in alimony. They're going to give her $4,500 a month, man. How am I going to live? I said, you should have thought about that before you started cheating on your wife. That wasn't the most gracious response. But I said, you're lucky I'm not the judge. You'd be in a pup tent, pal. You begin nothing. But here's the point. The righteous response is not to come down upon them, never condone the behavior, but to intercede with the Lord for them. Amen? Look what Moses does. And Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire 
was quenched. Moses shows the graciousness of God's being God's appointed intercessor. Didn't say about time, instead went and intercede. Just like our Savior who intercedes on our behalf. The one who, was, who said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what we do, they do. Praise God that we serve a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? And here we see Moses. And the fire was quenched. God responded with grace to the prayers of Moses, his appointed intercessor. Again, a picture of the cross delivering each of us from divine judgment. Verse 3. So he called the name of the place Taborah. Because of the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Tabra means burning. The name would serve as a monument of people's sin and God's righteous judgment. When we complain about our circumstances, it portrays God as being unjust. And it sends out a message that we somehow know better than God. We murmur because we don't think God's doing what's right. We act like we know better than God. Our flesh tells us that we know better than God. But the truth is... That God is faithful and God is righteous and God is always right. He never does the wrong thing, ever. Amen? When he allows us to go through the trial, he's doing it for a reason. We need to learn to trust him. So the lies our flesh tells us. Second thing is that the things of the world are better than the things of God. You know what, guys? If we didn't buy that lie, we would sin a lot less often. Amen? Sin is pleasurable for a season, and the enemy always wants to tempt us with the things of the world. Oh, come and taste of this. Come and touch this. Taste this. This is so good. Your flesh is going to enjoy this. Come and get it. It's worth it, and God will forgive you anyway. Isn't that the lie of Satan? And watch what happens. They've been delivered by God, but notice verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. The word mixed multitude in the Hebrew there means rabble or riffraff. Those that accompanied them out of Egypt. These were not the Jews. They were not true believers. They were some of the Egyptians who had decided to go out with them. You know, it's been said, you know, you can take the man out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the man. And in a sense, you can take the man out of the world, but you can't take the world out of the man unless he's been made into a new creation in Christ. Amen? And so we see here what's happening is that some of the Egyptians, I don't know why they came along. It could have been that they saw all the plagues and they thought, you know what? There might be more coming. I'm going with these guys. You know, they seem to be surviving. Let's just go with them. But they have truly given their hearts to God. Now they've been gone for over a year. Now they're eating manna. Now, hey, you know what? And they start to murmur. And this mixed multitude, you know, again, when you're hanging out with unbelievers, don't be surprised. When they start murmuring. And so they've left Egypt and they follow after them. They depart as a way of escape. And it could have even been that they were slaves there. But they were looking for a way to get away. And again, they may have started out with good intentions. But now they're going to cause Moses and the people of Israel a great deal of trouble. It's similar to what happens in the church today. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the tares in Matthew 13. I don't have time to go into it. But he talks about the word of God being planted, but up with the wheat grow the tares. And there are those within the body of Christ that are only there. They're not really Christians, but they're only there to bring division. And again, he says, don't cut them off. But you know what? Some of the greatest harms to the church are not the enemies on the outside, but the counterfeits on the inside. 
Those who would call themselves Christians but deny the inerrancy of Scripture. Those who would deny that Jesus is the only way. Those who would deny the virgin birth. Those who would say the resurrection is not a big deal. It is a big deal. Amen? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen? I mean, crucifixion was on Friday, but Jesus rose from the dead. And they promote a a man-centered gospel. So notice they complain. And what does they complain about? They have an intense what? Craving. This is a fleshly desire. They have an intense fleshly desire. They're not satisfied to be in the cross, to be in the presence of God, Him pouring out His manna upon them, headed to the land of promise. Instead, their flesh is now getting first place. They have an intense craving, an intense desire. And what is it that they desire? Look what it says. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So the people are craving, Oh man, manna again? How many ways can we cook manna? I've had it every day. Manna, 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 manna. You ever heard that song by Keith Green? But manna bread and manna cotty and all this other stuff, right? But the point is that God is providing what is perfect for them and instead they want what their flesh desires instead of what God knows is best for them. And they begin to murmur, and in the mixed multitude now you see how those around them are buying into it. They too are falling in to this trap of getting caught up in the flesh. Guys, you have to remember that the manna was a picture of Christ. And when you start turning from God's provision to what your flesh desires, it's a picture of turning away from Jesus Christ and to the world, verse 5. We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Isn't it amazing how our flesh has a selective memory? They remember the leeks and the onions and the melons and the cucumbers. They forgot about the beatings and the bondage and the slavery. Amen? You know, I did prison ministry for years. I very rarely guys, you know, had guys get out of prison. Oh, man, I remember the chow back there, man. I wish I could go. I mean, that's so dumb. They probably want everyone to eat anything that tastes anything like they had in prison because they didn't like being there. But here's the point. Some time has gone by, and now they're remembering the food, but they're forgetting about the bondage they were once in. Guys, it's us remembering and hearkening back to the, oh, that That partying was so fun, that sinful behavior was so fun, but forgetting about the consequences of sin and being separated from God and knowing no peace and having no real joy and having a life that's a disaster and headed nowhere. But the enemy always tries to hearken us back to what we see as being good. So we see here, they're crying out, all we have It's manna. All we have is freedom. All we have is God's blessing. All we have is God's presence. All we have is God's direction. All we have is the land of promise before us. Oh man, wouldn't it be great to go back to the heat? Wouldn't it be great to go back to baking, you know, uh, bricks and hot in the heat? Wouldn't it be great to go back to being lashed every day? Wouldn't it just be wonderful to go back to that? But again, that's how our flesh speaks to us. Our memory is funny. It remembers the party, forgets the hangover. Because sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end, it leads to destruction. I've said this many times. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Amen? 
He's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to the old life because they've taken their eyes off the Lord. Joy doesn't come from fulfilling. By the way, your flesh will never be satisfied as we're about to see. You know what? Your flesh says, just give me a little bit, then I'll be, I'll be satisfied, right? The truth is, the more you feed your flesh, the hungrier it gets. We need to deny the flesh, not feed the flesh. That's how we need to starve it, not feed it. Now look what it says. Now manna was like coriander seed. It's color like the color of bedellum. The people went out and gathered it, ground it in millstones or beat it in a mortar and cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell in the camp at night, the manna fell on it. Now, only God can make a cake that makes you strong. Amen? I mean, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, you know, Betty Crocker wish she could do that, right? He's pouring down stuff that turns, it's baked with oil. It's a pastry that sustained them. A pastry, it tasted good, it sustained them. It was God's perfect nourishment. It's exactly what they needed. This is a picture for us, not only of the Lord, but His Word. Amen? His Word nourishes us. His Word feeds us. His Word gives us exactly what we need. It would prepare them for battle. It prepares us for battle. It would increase their strength. It strengthens us in our faith. It would direct them. Prepare them to go out and walk with the Lord, and so too it prepares us to go out and walk with Him. They didn't want manna. They wanted the, world, the food the world had to offer. And how tragic it is when professing believers crave substitutes from the world instead of desiring the heavenly manna of the Word of God. Guys, the Word. More time in the Word. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Amen? And and we need to read all of it and study all of it and feed upon it. And the world wants us to go out and feed on religious substitutes that only satisfy our fleshly desire for a moment. The lies our flesh tells us, you know better than God. Complain about your circumstances. The things of the world are better complaining about God's provision. Now notice how Moses is going to be affected by it. Verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused, and Moses was also displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight if you laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Now you've got to remember, this is three million, two to three million people out in their tent. Uh, uh, uh. How'd you like to pastor that church? Two to three million whiners in your church. All of them whining. All of them murmuring against God. You know, and you want to say, dude, Red Sea. Red Sea, remember that? Passover, delivered you out of bondage. See the fire over there? It's a pillar of... Guys! And they're in their tent just wailing and murmuring. And then he goes against Moses. Now it's impacting Moses. Why did you give me these people? You know, I was out there, I was out there taking care of those sheep. I had left Egypt. I was out there. I was doing just fine. You show up in that fire, you know, the, 
the fiery bush and, and on the burning bush and you go out and, and, and Lord, you told me to come and I obeyed you and all the plagues and everything that came and the Red Sea and we crossed over and I went up on Mount Sinai. I came down and they're partying and they're out of control and there's idolatry and you open up the ground and swallowed some of them up and brought fire down and I thought we got rid of those people. And now we move a little further along and they're all whining. Did I, are these my kids? That's what he says. Did I conceive them? Is this my fault? You know, isn't it funny how when a kid messes up, it's always the other person's child? That's your child. Do you see what you did you hear what your son did at school today? And amazing how that happens. When they do great things, my son, Bath, your son. Here's what kind of what Moses is doing. Did I conceive them? They're not mine. He said, did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a garden carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Moses is starting to feel as he gets in his flesh and he hears the complaining and murmuring around him that God doesn't care about him. They're all weeping. He's so tired. They're, they're so tired. It's just wearing me out. And God's anger was, as aroused, was aroused as was Moses's. And again, the murmuring, the, the whining, the complaining. Again, at some point, it gets to the place where it just starts to weigh people down. You know, few things discourage God's servants more than people criticizing them unjustly and complaining about God's blessing. Somebody's pouring their life into people, they're ministering to them, they're loving them, and then they just murmur and complain, and they're just, ah. Oh. And it can just bring, you know what, here's the point though. We need to remember, if you're in a place of serving others, that you are a servant. Amen? And that's what you are. And if people don't respond, that's between them and the Lord. And that's a lesson that Moses would have to learn again and again and again. But he says, are they my children? Am I supposed to nurse these bunch of whiners? Do I have to carry them? Do I have to drag them there? Lord, is that the only way they're going to go? The next thing is that we start to feel like our problem's too big for God. You know, Moses now sees that he's got three million whiners. He's already seen enough. He just, you know what? And we can start to look at it and be overwhelmed by it. You got three million people crying out for a barbecue. How in the world are you going to feed them? Look what Moses says, verse 13. Where am I going to get meat to give all these people? They weep all over me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden's too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Now we know what it's like to pastor a church of three million whiners. Lord, you know what? Just kill me. Could you just, just take me out? You, you know, you've been consuming some of them with fire. Just consume me. I, Lord, let me just go be with you. I, enough of these people. I've had it. And God's going to turn Moses' heart back toward them. Moses' eyes are on his problem and off the Lord. And guess what happens? He has no hope. Guys, we can look at our circumstances. They can seem overwhelming. Where am I going to get enough money to pay my bills? Where am I going to, how am I going to overcome the situation with my rebellious child? Lord, this is beyond my bank account. This is beyond my ability to overcome it. What in the world am I going to do, Lord? You know what? That's when we get to see God work. Amen. If you can solve it without him, we don't get to see him move. And Moses at a place like, Lord, how in the world? It's impossible. Just kill me. I can't take these people. If I have found favor in your sight, and do, let me, do not let me see my wretchedness. Lord, I, 
you know what, I've gotten to the point where I can't take it. I'm, I'm going to become just like him if you don't get me out of here. I don't want to see the person I'm going to become, the person I have become. I can't take it, just kill me. So there's rebellion in the camp. We see the lies our flesh tells us. You know better than God. We complain about our circumstances. The things of the, lo- of the world are better than the things of God. We start to complain about God's provision. God doesn't really care about you. Your problem's too big for God. There's no hope. All these are results of looking through faithless eyes focused on the physical rather than faithful eyes focused on the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in a circumstance that's overwhelming. Can I encourage you? Quit looking at your circumstances and start looking to the Lord. Amen? No matter what you're going through, no matter how big the waves are around you, no matter how big the difficulty, you know what? This is the greatest opportunity for us to be a testimony to the lost world around us as we're in the midst of this great trial. And I don't mean the phony, don't be, you know, I got joy, joy. No, that's what I'm talking about, right? Diagnosis of cancer, joy, joy. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe that we respond with an eternal perspective. Amen? Paul said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Take it all from me, Lord. I trust you. Where else am I going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Guys, there's nobody more blessed than us. Amen? Because we know Almighty God. Now, let's notice as we finish up the way that God responds to us. How does he respond? So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, who you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. One of the first things we see God do is he provides for those who are desperate for him. He provides help for Moses. You know, Moses is at the end of himself. He's not really approaching it the right way. But you know what? Moses feels like one man against three million. And he's like, Lord, just kill me. I can't do this. I'm overwhelmed. And notice what the Lord tells him. Moses, you're not supposed to do this by yourself. Moses, you need to find other godly men and bring them here before me and let me have them hold up your hands. Let them come alongside you. Guys, if you're going through a tough time, you're not supposed to go through it alone. The Lord wants you to bring people to come alongside you, those who are walking with God, who can be a source of encouragement, a source of strength during this time of difficulty. Christianity, you've heard me say it many times, is not for the lone ranger. The elders, men of spiritual maturity, have them be officers over them, men who serve as overseers over the people. As a quick side note, notice that the elders didn't pick the pastor, but the pastor picked the elders. Well, that sounds pretty self-serving, doesn't it? The pastor picks up. Here's the point. The point is, we don't vote on God's calling. God calls men. Amen? And God is the one who recognizes someone's calling. And if someone's called by God, we all know it anyway. But notice they didn't have a vote. We need some elders. Let's get the three million whiners all together, and let's have some nominations and debate. Is that what happened? You don't see anything like that anywhere in Scripture. But a lot of churches today, you know, it's based on what the congregation votes for. And I don't want you to take this wrong, but here's the point. Not everybody in the congregation is even walking with God. Amen? And what happens is you can have somebody, it becomes a personality thing, and you're voting for your friend. And guys, we need to let God be the one to raise people up. And God be the one to sustain them. And that's the reason that so many churches are struggling today, is you've got men picking men instead of God raising men up. Let God be the one who does it. 
And this is a truly this biblical model. Look what it says. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that is upon you and put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. The same spirit upon Moses, which would be the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he takes that same Holy Spirit and puts it upon the elders, those who serve in the body of Christ. And they're all men of the same spirit, supernaturally walking together. Again, notice that he calls Moses to recognize those who are of a like spirit. Three million people, 70 elders. Man, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Sometimes you look and you think, man, he had three million and there were only 70, quote, pastors. Man, that's a lot of work. You know, we have a three or four hundred and we have seven pastors here the difference is they had moses you got me so they got they got a much better deal but here's the point they're all moving together now moses is not in this alone he's there's murmuring and complaining around him but he's looking to men of the same spirit and they're walking together with the lord while everyone around them complains. Guys, this is what happened. We find those who are like-minded and we walk with them. The world around us can complain. The world around us can murmur. The world around us can mock. We got our eyes on Jesus Christ and we're holding up each other's hands and things get tough. Amen? That's the body of Christ. Now notice what happens. So you're not to bear this alone. And now he's going to, then, then you shall say to the people, he's going to address the people. God's promise, he's going to, Give them what they want. And that's not always the best thing that can happen, by the way. You cry out. You tell God what you want. You tell God what you want. You tell God what you want. It's a totally fleshly motivated thing. And sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is God let you have what you want. Look what happens. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you. You have wept before him, saying, Why did you ever come up? Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? The Lord says, You want meat? Okay. You're going to be eating it till it's coming out your nose. Is that not what it says? I'm going to give you so much of what you're crying out for that you're going to be sick of it. And this is exactly what happens. We get so caught up in our flesh, and sometimes the Lord just says, okay. And you know what ends up happening? Our flesh isn't satisfied. Instead, in the end, it brings about sickness and destruction. They cried out for that which would satisfy the flesh. Much like later they would cry out for a king, a fleshly king, when they had a godly king. When God really wants to judge people often, he just gives them the very thing they've been asking for. They didn't want the manna which represented Christ. They wanted the meat that fed their flesh. They didn't want to be walking toward the land of promise. They were hearkening to go back to the sinful things of this world. Guys, how wrong is it for us as Christians to even contemplate going back to the world when Jesus Christ paid so much to bring us out of it? Amen? We ought to be overjoyed. For what the Lord has done. He's saying to them, you want to feed your flesh? Go ahead. But the consequences are coming. And the same is true when we sin. Consequences are coming. Verse 21, And Moses said, The people whom I 
who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. So there's 600,000 men. So you had women and children, you got two to three million people. And it says there, Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? You know what? Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we think it's just too much. It's just too great. No, but there's no way God can come through on this. This is overwhelming. And notice how the Lord's respond. Because again, we can look at our circumstances and think it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. You know what? Our circumstances are only great if our God is small. If our God is great, there's nothing too great for Him. And notice how the Lord responds in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? What, I can't reach out anymore? What happened? Has my arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. He says to Moses, well, you don't think I can do it? Hey, Moses, remember how you were reminding them about the Red Sea? Let me remind you about the Red Sea. Let me remind you about the plagues. Remember when, you dropped, when Aaron dropped a stick on the ground and turned into a snake? You remember that? Do you remember how I brought frogs? I brought locusts? Do you remember how I brought flies? Do you remember how I parted the Red Sea? Do you remember how you came up on Mount Sinai and let you see my backside and you were glowing in the dark? Do you remember that? Moses, do you notice that even the most spiritual of men or women can still fall into this trap and get into our flesh? Amen? And here Moses, Lord, there's no way. And God basically says, watch and see, Moses. He didn't tell him how he was going to do it, just to trust him. Much as he usually doesn't tell us how he's going to do it, just to trust him. Just trust me. And guys, we need to get to that place where even when we don't understand how, we trust that God will do it. And then it says, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them all around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Around the tabernacle, the place where God manifested himself. The Spirit rested upon them, not with them, you know, from time to time, but took up residence upon them. The Spirit empowered them to insist, assist Moses in the work of the ministry. And notice the evidence of the Spirit. They prophesied. They spoke or sang of the wonderful works of God. To me, this is the greatest manif- one of the greatest manifestations of some being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're always pointing people to the Lord. Amen? Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He points people to the Lord. Some people say, oh man, we had this spiritual meeting. It was so spiritual, man, nobody could even talk. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't knock you on the ground so you can't talk. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points people to Jesus. Amen? You know, Jesus never spoke of himself but the Father, and the Spirit never speaks of himself but Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how you see that in the Trinity. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they prophesy. They're speaking, in the midst of the murmurs and the complainers, they're speaking the wonderful works of God. Notice verse 26. But two men who remained in the camp, the name, one's name was Eldad, and the other's name was Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. 
And the young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to them, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You know what? They came and said, tell them to be quiet because Moses, only you should talk about God. Guys, here's the point. Jesus, this would later happen with the disciples, if you remember. There were some men prophesying in his name and they came and told the Lord and he said, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. Amen? And he says, oh, that they all would prophesy my name. God's desire is that every one of us would be filled with his Holy Spirit and we would magnify his most holy name. Amen? And he doesn't just have a choice few that he speaks through. Guys, we don't have, don't take this wrong if you come from this background, the Lord loves you. We don't have a pope, we have Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't have bishops and all these guys up in the higher, only they hear from God. When Jesus came, he didn't go to the religious, he went to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the poor, amen, and the fishermen, the uneducated from the world's eyes. God's coming to those who are willing to give their lives to Him, not to those who are so filled with self-righteousness they see no need for Him. Amen? So praise God. His desire is to have the Holy Spirit upon every single one of us. Eldad and Medad were among those 70, but they had not come to the tent. But notice that the Lord still fell upon them. Moses didn't say, you know, basically said, don't worry about me. I'm thrilled that the Spirit is upon them. He desired they all would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, may we never seek to promote a church or a ministry. We only should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. Last point, God's judgment upon those driven by fleshly desires. We see how God responds to us. First to those, Moses at the end of himself, desperate, and God blesses him, encourages him, brings 70 guys around him. Pours out the Spirit upon them. But notice how he responds to those who are in a place of walking in the flesh. He brings righteous judgment. Verse 31. Now wind went out from the Lord, and he brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Now picture this. Three feet above the ground for a day's walk in every direction, about 20 miles or so, he had these quail just stacked up. You guys want meat? Here you go. A mile, you know, 20 miles in every direction, three feet high. Knock yourself out. Here's all the cheeseburgers you could ever want. He just stacks it all up. And they think that's what's going to satisfy him. Lord, if you would just give me that one thing my flesh wants, then I'll be satisfied. Lord, what I really need is that promotion. Then I'll, re- then I'll be happy. Lord, I just want that one. I want, that, I want the spouse. I want the children. I want the thing. Lord, just give me that one more thing. Then I'll be happy. Guys, if we don't have peace where we are right now, there's nothing we can add to our circumstances that will bring us peace. Amen? Peace comes from walking with God, not having your circumstances be perfect. And so he brings it. Imagine Moses going, why was I questioning God? You know, what am I going to get all the, I'm going to fish the whole sea, Lord? How am I going to bring him? You know, all he does is he just kicks up a wind. All the quail. More meat than you could ever possibly imagine. And so, verse 32. And the people stayed up all that night 
all that day, all night, all the next day, and gathered quail. He who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Ten homers is about 60 bushels, or about 200 family-sized buckets of quail. you imagine you got home and there were 200 buckets of Kentucky Fried Chicken? You guys want meat? There you go. 200 buckets full of chicken. Here's your meat. Now notice, the thing they thought would satisfy them is the very thing that's going to destroy them. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of God was aroused against the people and the Lord struck the people with a great plague. The people were scarfing the meat, and the wrath of God came upon them. The Lord gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their souls. Feeding on your flesh will bring leanness into your souls. Then it says, so they called the name of that place Kirbath Hatava. Kirbath Hatava means graves of lust. You lusted for it, you desired it, you got it. How did that work out for you? We probably could have testimony time. It wouldn't be real, you know, it might take a while to get people to come up here. But we'd come up here and say, you know what, this is what I really wanted. I was willing to give anything for it. I kept pressing. I walked away from the Lord to get it. Then I got it, and it was a disaster. Anybody bear witness with that? Lord, I just pressed and pressed, and I wanted it, and I didn't care, and I just rejected what God said. I walked away from His Spirit, and I just went out and did it, and man, it was a disaster. And that's exactly what happened here. The Lord had warned them that the way they treated the daily manna would be a test of their obedience back in Exodus 16. In rejecting the manna, Israel really rejected the Lord. And it was this rebellious attitude that invited the judgment of God. And this reminds us that the way we treat God's word is the way we treat the Lord himself. Guys, if we ignore the word of God, we're ignoring God. Do you understand that? You can't say, I love Jesus, I just don't spend time in his word. He is called the Word. Amen. When you want to know Him, spend time in His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can't just dial down His Word. We can't just take the, the cross and not have, you know, not have the Word to lead and guide and direct. He didn't call us to be converts, but disciple. A disciple is a learner, someone who's growing in our faith. We can't grow unless we feed. We can't grow unless we feed on the right things. And instead, they were filled with lust and they were feeding on the things of the world. Guys, when we think we know what's best, it's only God who knows, who truly knows. Sometimes what we want will bring only a plague. What they wanted brought a plague. Yeah, the Bible says that God, he says, I will withhold no good thing from you. Do you believe that? He says, I will withhold no good thing from you. So if he's withholding it, then it's not good for us, at least not right now. Amen? So we need to come to that place where we trust Him. Instead of crying out for the thing that we think we need, we need to come to a place where we say, Lord, you give us what you know is best. And then it finishes off, because they buried the people who had yielded to the craving. From Kirbath Hatava, the people moved to Hazareth and camped at Hazareth. God says, if it's what's best for you, I would have already sent it to you. And instead they cried out what they wanted in their flesh. Guys, we've been delivered out of bondage. Many of you, the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism. We've made that public confession of faith. We're headed out 
and God is poured out his spirit upon us. And then, you know, where the spirit is in us, we're born again. And then po- crossing over the Jordan, again, a picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then entering into the land of promise, all that God has for us. Sadly, there's a lot of Christians caught between the Red Sea and the Jordan Sea. They've never truly surrendered completely. They've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not surrendered completely to God. They're still struggling day by day and succumbing to the things of the flesh. And they're not being used in such a mighty way that God would choose to use them. They haven't fully trusted the Lord, fully surrendered to God. Guys, I know this kind of goes along with this message we had on Sunday. But God so desires that we be more than converts, but that we be disciples. Guys, what he has for you is so good. Anything he would take from you is only that which is bad for you. We we learn to trust him. So in conclusion, rebellion in the camp. This 11-day journey that's going to turn into a 40-year death march because of the rebellion. There's the lies that our flesh tells us that you know better than God. So we start to complain about our circumstances. The other lie that our flesh tells us that the things of the world are better. Guys, are you tired as I am of seeing Christians mocked? on television. Every time you see a Christian in a movie or something, he's always the biggest knucklehead. Or he's always extremely self-righteous. Have you ever noticed that? He's always a hate monger and he's always looking down on people and he's self-righteous. Guys, may we be the ones to change people's perspective of what it means to be a Christian. Amen? May we be so loving that when they see that on TV, they say, that's not like the Christians I know. Christians I know are loving and kind and minister to me, and love me unconditionally. The flesh tells us the things of the world are better so that we complain about what God's done for us. The flesh tells us that God doesn't care about us, that our problem is too big for God. There's no hope. But then we say how God responds. He provides for those who are desperate for Him. You're going through it alone right now. Cry out to the Lord. His Holy Spirit will come upon you. And if you will allow Him, He will bring people around you to hold up your hands. Amen? And you know what? May we be those people in this room. May we not be so caught up in what we're going through that we don't reach out and love on others. And then finally, we saw God's judgment upon those driven by the flesh. The holy wrath upon those who wanted their fleshly desire fed no matter what the cost. And sadly, the cost came. They complained. It was an indictment against God. Guys, when we open our mouths, may they be filled not with murmuring but praise. Amen? Guys, if we praised him every moment until he came back, would that be enough? God created us to praise him, not to murmur, not to complain. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you that through the shed blood of your Son that we've been born again, that we're going to heaven, that we're filled with your Spirit. And Lord, I know that all of us have from time to time gotten so caught up in our circumstances, Lord, that we get our eyes off of what really matters. We start to murmur. We start to complain. Lord, there's even times when we start to think that the things of the world are better. To go back to our old way of life is too enticing. But Lord, we know that's only as we walk in our flesh. So Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, you would help us, Lord, to not walk in the flesh, but to be filled with your Holy Spirit to be ever mindful of heaven. Lord, to live lives that would impact those around us for eternity. Lord, I pray that you would use us to change people's opinions of what it means to be a Christian. 
Lord, because they would see the love and the grace and the mercy flowing out of us on the world around us that so desperately needs you. Lord, the world is hurting, and we have the answer. Lord, the world is lost, and you're the direction. Lord, the world is hopeless, and we have the hope that lies within us. Lord, I pray we would not hide it from this world that so desperately needs you. But Lord, we would take that light and shine it in a way that all would see your good works and glorify you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song. Mm -hmm.